Would you say if I told you that within 10 years, it's reasonable to think that you could look down at your dinner plate and see a variety of cricket options on there? A whole roast cricket, a mashed up cricket burger, a cricket flour baked cookie, perhaps even a Caesar to go with it with mashed up cricket brine along the edge of your cup. The future of sustainable food is coming fast and in terms of protein, well, it could look pretty different. Aspire Food Group is currently building the world's largest cricket farm in London, and the future of sustainable protein is going to be, in some cases quite literally, present in our backyards. 519 podcast host Haley Cheng looks at the future of food and what may be waiting in the weeds for us. So, let's get to talking about that cricket in the room. Aspire Food Group is bringing the world's largest cricket farm to London, specifically to Innovation Park just off of Veterans Memorial. The facility is 150,000 square feet and 11 stories tall, meaning it'll be pretty hard to miss even if you're driving along the 401. They're also looking to create over 150 jobs as a result of the farm. Mohammed Ashour is the co-founder and CEO of Aspire Food Group. In 2013, Mohammed, along with his team entered a business competition called the Holtz Prize. The Holtz Prize required teams to pitch a business model that will tackle food security. And that is how Aspire was born. Our key products are actually uh, producing crickets, which we either sell uh, as frozen crickets to our end customers, or we sell them as a meal, which is essentially like a powder that, you know, we're able to generate and process on site. So effectively, we sell crickets either in powder form or as a frozen raw material. But in both cases, it's, it's an ingredient that is then incorporated into finished products. So we are a B2B ingredient company, meaning we sell ingredients to other companies, which then take those ingredients and incorporate them into finished goods, which are then marketed to end consumers. Um, and then, of course, uh, the same is true with frass. We also sell that as an ingredient to um, farmers as well as other growers uh, who then use it um, as, a, as a soil amendment and a biostimulant in their, uh, in their fields. But how do you actually farm crickets? You can't keep them penned in with chicken wire. But if you let them roam freely, then what? You'd have to run around with a butterfly net to catch them. It is, in fact, much simpler than that. Aspire has found a way to make farming crickets easy, sustainable, and most importantly, humane. The process is, is very, very straightforward, um, you know, in theory, just as it would be with virtually any other form of livestock. I mean, it's really simple, right? Your, your role is to supply nutrients to this animal that you're growing um, and to ensure that it is subjected to the right environmental conditions. And it's built like a vertical farm where you're really taking advantage, not necessarily of you know, ground surface area, but rather the vertical elevation. And that's because you're able to stack up and therefore farm in a vertical rather than a horizontal fashion. You know, we'll be generating anywhere from 10 to 12,000 metric tons a year of protein. And that's a pretty significant uh, production um, in relation to sort of the footprint of the facility. I mean, just to put that into context, our facility is situated on about 12 acres. Uh, and it will produce, like I said, annually between 10 to 12,000 metric tons. We actually think crickets in, in particular are like the perfect biological organism to be produced and cultivated in an indoor setting with this type of production system. And that's because um, these crickets typically in, the, in, in, in natural, in, you know, in their natural life cycle, they typically prefer nocturnal environments. So they prefer the dark 
they typically aggregate in clusters as opposed to, you know, being by themselves or, or, or um, you know, foraging kind of alone. Um, and then finally, they also typically prefer specific climatic conditions. So unlike, you know, mammals that we consume, whether it's, you know, um, cows or, uh, you know, sheep, the poultry, et cetera, uh, crickets are uh, unable to regulate their own body temperatures, right? As invertebrates that are um, uh, ectotherms, they, th their body temperature is the exact same temperature as the ambient temperature. So that means that in a country like Canada, where the optimal temperature, you know, and if, uh, you know, that's that crickets prefer only exists for about one or two months a year, because it's otherwise either too, too cold, or too wet, or some other combination of suboptimal, um, it's very hard, of course, in an, in an outdoor setting to be producing these crickets reliably, whereas in an indoor scenario, you control all of these parameters. So you have, you're taking advantage of the natural life cycle of these crickets, and you're replicating those parameters, and you're also protecting those parameters so that you're able to keep the temperature and the humidity and the light intensity, all of that consistent all year round. And since all the parameters that contribute to the ideal cricket lifestyle can be controlled and altered, Aspire's Cricket Farm really is a cricket paradise. Where it starts to get very technical and challenging is figuring out the details around those things. So, for example, what is the optimal feed that you should use, you know, for crickets? And by the way, is that the same feed for all 30 days where you're raising them from hatch to harvest? Or do you have a feed that you use in the early weeks uh, a feed that you use sort of mid-cycle and a feed that you use uh, towards the end of their growth cycle. What is the optimal temperature? What is the optimal humidity? And again, are those consistent throughout that 30-day period or do you have to change those over that 30-day period? And if so, what do those changes look like for optimal conditions? Uh, what's really fascinating, I think, from our standpoint is that our what we need to do to optimize the production of crickets is actually perfectly in harmony with their own natural life cycle. By, by farming indoors, you literally control all of the environmental parameters. So you control the temperature, the humidity, the light intensity, the sound pressure, everything. And as a result, you can actually gather tremendous amounts of data. So for example, let's say in this month, we set the temperature at our facility you know, for crickets that are between three to four weeks of age. So the, basically the last week before harvest, we set the temperature at, call it 32 degrees Celsius. And in another part of the facility, we set it at 34 degrees Celsius and everything else remains constant. And then we come and harvest it and it turns out that group A had a 5% higher yield than group B. Well, now we can, with a high degree of certainty, attest to the fact that, you know, that higher yield was due to that incremental change in temperature. So now the next cycle, we could either make everything in the facility consistent with that temperature that produced the more optimal result. We gather enormous amounts of data from these crickets. And because the sheer volume of data we're going to be collecting in our London facility is so massive, even a very trained group of data scientists will have a hard time sifting through that volume of data, never mind finding the correlations and patterns within it, which is exactly why we've partnered with Darwin AI, uh, a leading enterprise AI company here in Canada that's going to basically build the machine learning algorithms that are going to crunch through that data and find those correlations amongst the variabilities within that data to help us identify the parameters that are optimal for cricket growth. Crickets might not sound appealing, and your eyes might not enjoy the idea of a cricket on your plate, but your stomach sure does. 
In fact, there's a lot of health benefits packed into those tiny little bodies. In North America, crickets are not necessarily food, right? Most of us did not grow up in Canada thinking about crickets as a food source. Uh, we've, if anything, thought of it as the opposite of food, as, as something that destroys or consumes or invades your, your, your food and, and your home and so on and so forth. But that's not true for the vast majority of the rest of the world. About 80% of the world's countries, according to the United Nations FAO, actually consume insects and embrace insects as a cultural part of their diet. Not all proteins are created equal. Um, you know, when you look at the back of a package of a food product and you see protein, that can sometimes be misleading because some products may have, let's say, 10 or 15 or 20 grams of protein. But number one, your body only digests like 30% of it. So then really, even if it has, you know, 12 grams of protein on, on, on the package that is claimed, if your body only absorbs, you know, three or four of those grams, then is it really 12 grams of protein that you're, you're getting out of that product? So crickets are an excellent source of bioavailable, complete protein. And it doesn't end there. Not only will crickets keep your protein and mineral needs satisfied, but they will also keep your body's bacterial buddies fed as well. The second major benefit is that crickets are actually are arguably the only animal protein that is a source of prebiotic fiber, which means that it provides fiber and it provides um, uh, nutrition to the gut bacteria in your body, which are then used to digest food. So it actually helps enhance your digestion capabilities. And finally, um, you know, crickets are an exceptional source of um, minerals, including vitamins like vitamin B12. Um, so they, they can be a real rich source of vitamins and minerals beyond just the uh, protein contribution. Not only does Aspire produce crickets used for human consumption, but they also play a big part in the pet food market, providing our furry friends with the protein required in their diets. Everything we produce in terms of the crickets in this facility is human grade. So this is not a question of taking pet food and feeding it to people. It's more like the opposite. We're taking human grade products and then selling them into pet food, which, um, you know, for those for those, you know, who, who might discover this conversation uh, and who aren't who don't appreciate the growth of the pet food market. It's one of the most incredible trends that has overtaken that industry in the last decade is the humanization of pets, this sort of broad scale conviction by most pet parents that the pet is no longer this sort of, you know, um, accessory in the household that you feed. It's actually a member of the household. And if anything, in most cases, it's the favorite child. And as a result, um, the attention and care that pet parents now, you know, provide their pets is pretty extraordinary. And it all stems from this philosophical conviction that if I believe genuinely that my pet is like my child, then I need to feed them like my child. So I'm not going to feed them, you know, scraps or byproducts that are that come from the human food grade. And so this sort of trend to humanize pets by providing them human grade ingredients is precisely why pet food companies who focus on premium ingredients uh, are reaching out to us and are partnering with us to obtain these human grade crickets for their uh, applications in pet food. You might be wondering how crickets stack up against our current sources of protein, like beef, chicken, or pork. Turns out, not only will consuming crickets benefit our bodies, but they are also great for our planet. You know, for most sources of, of livestock, um, again, you know, if, if, you, if you go back to the, the math that for a cow to give you one pound of protein, it needs to eat eight pounds of feed. So just do that math. It, literally, 
thinking about all of the food you have to feed that cow, which then has to be grown on land. So now you have to multiply the amount of land to grow all that food. Of course, you're going to have to multiply the amount of fertilizer that you apply to the, to the crops you're growing, which you're then going to feed to those cows. You're then going to have to multiply the amount of trucks and transportation and logistics and supply chain required to transport the food to the cows and move them around and then slaughter and move. So when you think about it, the sheer amount of land, water, energy, not to mention the greenhouse gas emissions associated with the ecosystem of producing beef is absolutely immense. And again, that's because this is an animal that is fundamentally not very efficient at converting what it eats into protein biomass. Also, the emissions from, shall we say, the unsavory end of a cow are detrimental to the planet. But what do crickets do when they need to go number two? Crickets actually don't emit any methane, which means that their CO2 equivalent footprint is about three orders of magnitude lower than virtually any other form of livestock. But also for every one pound of crickets we produce, we actually produce one pound of frass. Frass is the excrement that the crickets generate. And it's actually used as a biostimulant soil amendment. So it really enhances the quality and survivability of certain plants. So we have this extraordinary sort of zero waste system where you input, you know, feedstock on one side and on the other end, you generate high quality protein ingredients from crickets. And then you have byproducts of crickets that become high quality inputs into plant nutrition. The struggle with food security is something we've been battling for a very long time. And since this solution comes with so many advantages, it's no wonder that Aspire is taking off. Our current global food production system is tremendously unscalable, meaning the way we produce food and particularly protein is very, very hard on our planet's resources and very, you know, taxing. And unfortunately, that only gets worse the more it continues to scale. Uh, And given the United Nations FAO's projection that we're going to need to double our food production in the next 30 to 40 years, it means that we genuinely need to explore and discover new ways of producing a lot more food using a lot less resources. (laughs) Excuse me. And the reason for that is that if you look at most of our livestock production, you think of like chickens, pigs, cows, etc. These are animals that are generally speaking, not very efficient at converting what they eat into protein. So if you think of cow as an example, the cow typically eats about eight kilograms of feed just to give you one kilogram of edible beef. Uh, with pigs, it's about five to one. With chickens, it's about three to one. So what that tells you is that in order to produce you know, meat from all these different animals, we just need a ton of land and water and energy. We use lots of pesticides and herbicides and so on and so forth. So our thinking was, is there a source of protein that exists that is far more efficient at converting feed into protein biomass? And if so, can that protein source be produced at a tremendous scale so that you could address this problem of global food security uh, in a fairly you know, global fashion? And of course, that research led us to identify what was arguably the oldest source of protein that humans have ever consumed, um, one that has been consumed by virtually every single, you know, a member of the animal kingdom for millennia. And that, of course, is insects. The only thing holding us back from including insects in our diets is the ill factor of it all. But our population is only going to get larger and farming cows, pigs or chickens for consumption takes up far more space. So what is the future of food? Maybe 
Just maybe the answer lies with the sound of a badly received joke. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 519 Podcast. It was written and produced by Craig Needles, Patrick Magermans, and Jessica Stokes. It was hosted by Haley Cheng. You can subscribe to the 519 Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at blackburnnews.com. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media. Thank you.